Welcome to the only show bringing cops and the community together for some real talk and some real listening. This is uncut. This is uncensored. This is Black and Blue Live. Welcome, welcome, welcome to Black and Blue Live, everybody. How you guys doing out there? My name is Dale. I'm the host. There's my homegirl over there, Lizzie. <laughs> What's going on, young lady? How you doing? Ah, right, adjust that camera. Adjust that camera. You're going the wrong yeah, way. No, the other I'm way. The other way. There you go. Hey. <laughs> hey. We want you on camera here. Don't be trying to hide. Try Don't to be scared. Like, let, let me eat my food. Let me eat my food. No. <laughs> so how's it going? It's going really well. Bless everybody getting healthy. I see the vaccination numbers are up and the numbers are coming down. So everybody keep practicing um, excellent uh, preventive measures and we'll be back open soon. So I'm super excited about that. How are you yes, doing? I'm good. I'm good. I'm excited. I'm ready to get this show going today. We got some yes. real interesting and, and awesome guests here. So I want to get to them here in a second. Uh, as everybody sees out there, I want to thank everybody for joining us live here on Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, and Twitch, uh, make sure that you go to those channels and you like and you subscribe to us. Uh, we could really use the support. Everybody out there watching the show, we support you um, supporting us. I love it. I love it. So thank, thank you. Thank, thank you. you. Yes, indeed. So uh, our show today is going to be African-American military leaders as the uh, lower third banner there shows. We're going to talk to some some military officers, uh, minority military officers, and uh, but before we get into that, I want to uh, give some shout outs to some of uh, some of my peoples that have been, uh, let's see here, uh, in the military for back in the day. I've got uh, right here. This is my uncle Howard, who's no longer with us, but he served in the Air Force uh, years ago. I want to give a shout out to him and uh, his son, my cousin Alan, also served in the Air Force. He, he, I grew up with him. He's like a brother. I'm going to be visiting him real soon. Shout out to my boy, Alan, in, in Florida. And uh, their, their legacy right there, because his son, Manny Peters, also serves in the Air Force today. So he is currently- I'm shot now. Yes, yes, yes. He is currently Staff Sergeant in the, in the Air Force. That is him right there. So I wanted to give him a shout out, give that family a shout out. There's some military leaders right there. And you got some people you wanted to shout out too, right? Let me, let me pull Absolutely. up- Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. He's, Here's your first one. Who's this? Yeah, so this is my aunt Winona. She served in the Air Force. Um, this is, I just, I love her so much. Um, and there are so many of my family, but these are the pictures I could grab up. So my aunt Winona served in the Air Force for many years. Um, okay. And I just love her to life. All right, who's this? This is my uncle. This is my uncle uh, Avon, and he also served in the military. This is an old school picture. <laughs> all right, all right. And uh, this one here? This is my uncle, um, Homer. He served in, I believe this is the Army. Might be the Air Force. He was in the <laughs> military also. <laughs> okay, all right. Yeah, you got a, you got a gang of family. Yeah, I got a few people. <laughs> yeah. This is my cousin, this? Jeremy. He served in the Army. All right, so all right. So baby cousin, yes. Uh-huh. Uh and who's There's that? More. And this is my uncle. I'm sorry, my, my uh, cousin, James Smith. He served in the Navy also. He's probably like, I can't believe she put that picture out there. I did it, James. I love you, though. I love you. I love you. All right. And last but certainly not least, uh, somebody that's uh, near and dear to us that worked with us for a few years, recently retired, uh, Corporal Kelvin Bryant, served in the Air Force as well. So we want to give a shout yes. out to him. 
a lot of Air Force on this show, and uh, that's yes. a sign of things to come here. Uh, we got, uh, let me go back here to our introduction. I'm sorry I brought you guys up too early. Let me get out of that. Let me get out of that. Yes, I want to bring you, I want to give you your due. You trying to have <laughs> bells and whistles. Yes, yes our first <laughs> guest here. Our first guest here, he is a commander, a commander in the United States Navy. Everybody, please help us welcome in Commander Desmond Walker. <laughs> Hello, Dale. Hello, Elizabeth. How are you doing this evening? Yeah, good. We're so glad you're here with us. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself and your career? Sure. So I'm a Commander Desmond Walker, uh, originally from Hollandale, Mississippi. I've uh, served in the Navy for 24 years. Um, I enlisted back in 1996, uh, selected as an officer in 2003. Went, uh, I went to Norfolk State University um, to their ROTC unit, uh, commissioned there in 2005 as a nuclear training service warfare officer. And I've served on five ships thus far uh, and, ha and have had a wonderful career thus far. All right. Thank, Thank you, you so for much joining. for joining us. Yeah, appreciate yes, you for your service. Thank you for your service. Yeah. Right. Now our next guest is Colonel Henderson and uh, she commands the Air Force Office of Special Investigations, OSI, uh, the Navy's version of NCIS, if you all watch the TV show. Uh, she is the first black woman to hold that position, and we want to welcome her to the show. All right. Thank you for joining Hi, us. Hi, Dale. Hi, Elizabeth. <laughs> Thank you Hello. so much for having me. Hi. Just that one slight correction. Um, I'm not the commander of all of the Office of Special Investigations. I am the commander over one region, um, which is there's uh, a total of uh, seven uh, uh, regions, and so I'm a commander over one of those for uh, overseeing all of the investigative units on Air Mobility Command. So, you know, unlike Desmond, um, so I'm old enough to not want to date myself by giving, you know, each one of my career milestones. <laughs> but I will say, um, again, I'm a Colonel Tamara Henderson. I am originally from Inglewood, California. Uh, All right. I initially the ING. <laughs> yeah, the wood. <laughs> so I initially joined the Air Force. Uh, I enlisted um, and I came right out of high school um, before I was in the Air Force for my 18th birthday. <laughs> and um, so, but I served um, for a few years before I went to officer training school um, where I was commissioned um, as a as a second lieutenant. Um, and here I am today. Um, I the Air Force Office of or the Office of Special Investigations, again, as you said, we hate to compare it to uh, NCIS, <laughs> uh, but the bottom line is, yes, that's what um, that's what we do. We're a, a federal law enforcement agency. Um, that oversees um, criminal and counterintelligence operations um, for the the Air Force and for for DoD um, across um, throughout the world. So All again, right. thank you okay, for having me. You're not yes. even here. This is just an illusion. <laughs> this is just an illusion. <laughs> yeah, this is just an illusion. Got it. <laughs> well, thank you for your service, Colonel. We appreciate you. And uh, last thank but certainly you. not least, he is he was a lieutenant colonel. In the in the United States Marine Corps, so we, I'm sure we got a, a bunch of devil dogs here in the audience. Everybody, please help us welcome in. He is now a doctor, Doctor Larry Parker Jr. Welcome. Hey, I really appreciate that, I mean, Dale and Elizabeth. Um, it's great to be here. 
How am I coming through? Is, is, you hear me? Yeah, you sound, you sound great. Sound good. Sound good. Hey, hey well, again, um, happy to be here. And just like my colleagues that are, that are on, um, you know, humble beginnings coming into this, um, I will go ahead and put this disclaimer out here. We're going to get this out quick so no one else can, can hear it later. I am an Army brat. You know, I started out, you know, my father, um, I've lived on Fort Bragg and right outside of Fort Hood, most, you know, my youth coming up. But I called my going into the Marine Corps my last rebellious act as I left as I left um, home and home is Temple, Texas. So Temple, Texas. And um, really, I, I came up around the David Robinson age um, time. So I played ball and initially uh, found myself going off to the Naval Academy. And so went there to go play, but I, I didn't settle down and, and handle the books the way I needed to. So I spent two years there, but then had to um, make my exit uh, over to a school in, in Ohio, uh, Wittenberg University. And while I was there, uh, introduced to a program called the uh, PLC, the Platoon Leaders Course. Um, and through that program, it's still a commissioning program. It's still something that um, really it doesn't commit you to the same way that an ROTC or some other program like that. And I knew I wanted to serve after seeing my father um, pursue and then seeing other family members that allowed me to go through and um, find myself where I am now is um, 24 years in in the Marine Corps um, as a supply officer and after hard hardship of um, education once I started I'm like okay I'm gonna ride this thing all the way out and so that's where the doctorate came in and so education all the way throughout and find myself here now uh, after a long career and still in education. All right. Well, thank you. Thank you for your service, sir. We appreciate you. Thank you. We absolutely appreciate the journey. And before we move on, we, we just want to um, acknowledge um, Colonel Shabazz. He was unable to join us today um, because his uh, unit had an emergency, but he is a Muslim chaplain and one of only 10 in the U.S. Army. Uh, he and his wife mentor black and brown youth, so we want to keep our prayers with him as they he is handling business. They are on call 24-7, but we do want to get the show on the road. Also, just a disclaimer, everything said here today is from opinion and not representative of any organization, entity of the United States government, or any way, shape, or form. It is the opinions and the um, expressions of our guests and hosts today. So that being said, I'm excited you all are here and join us. Yes, let's get to it. Here we go. All right, so thank you for joining us here today. Let me get uh, that comment off real quick. Uh, before we move on, I want to encourage everybody to send in your, your, your questions, your comments. We'll have a, run, a running chat on the side there. So thank you, Dr. Angela Pope, uh, thanking everybody, all of our guests for the service. So keep those coming in. Uh, for the first half of the show, we're, we're just going to get into questions and comments with our guests. But the second half of the show, we're going to bring up your comments. So if you want to put a cue in, before, uh, in front of your question, so that our screener, uh, Elizabeth, my wife, Elizabeth, not the other one you see here on the screen here, but the, uh, producer Liz, the so real she boss. knows it. Yes, yeah, the real <laughs> boss. So that she knows that, you know, this is gonna be a question. She can put those in the queue and we can bring those up later. So everybody, uh, we could do that and then uh, we'll keep this going. So keep those comments going, we, we, we appreciate that. So everybody, thank you for joining us here, guest. Um, so we went into the introductions and, and we saw everything that uh, your positions hold and everything. Uh, each of you being African-Americans in your positions, 
let, let me ask you first, uh, Commander Walker, what sort of, because I know you've, uh, you've, spoke, you've spoken on diversity in the, in the Navy, uh, probably in the Marine Corps as well. What's your opinion on diversity in the military as far as the administrative ranks, a lieutenant and above, officers in the military? Do you see a lot of that going on? Does the military need to do some more work on, on recruitment on that? What's your opinion on that? That's a great question, Dale. Um, I think that it's uh, the data shows that we have to do more um, across all services. Um, we look at the data, I think, going through 2020. On average, our enlisted ranks are represented well above the demographic representation of the country. As for instance, I think uh, African-Americans, we make up around 14 percent of the American population, but enlisted wise, I think we're at around 25%. Whereas in the officer ranks, um, we are well below the 14%. I think we're at somewhere between seven and 8%. So uh, we could always do more. And to your point about recruiting, I think recruiting is only a piece of it. Um, there is a retention aspect to it as well that um, I think uh, services should definitely put more attention to. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, what about uh, you, Colonel, uh, Lieutenant Colonel Parker? We'll, we'll call you Dr. Parker. What's your opinion on that? Can you hear us, Dr. Parker? I guess he can't hear us. <laughs> well, we will move on there. And yeah, go ahead there, Lizzie. Uh, Colonel, uh, Colonel Henderson, what would you say in, in regards to that for women and the retention of women in the military? Have you seen a... Um, an increase in retention and opportunity um, and intentionality for recruitment? Um, or do you feel that um, there still needs to be, uh, like as uh, Commander Walker said, a lot more effort too in those areas? I 100% agree with uh, Commander Walker. Um, you know, I don't think, I think there is intentionality with recruitment, um, but I, I also believe that it's the uh, retention um, that tends to, to, to be the problem. Um, you can bring as many people in um, as, as you want, but if there's, you know, if they're not feeling included um, and there's not that sense of, you know, upward mobility, um, people are not going to stay. Um, and so I think the Air Force um, in particular has made great strides as far as you know, trying to become, you know, more inclusive, opening up more uh, career fields for women um, and, and making more opportunity. But uh, absolutely, there needs to be, um, the, the data just shows um, there needs to be more work um, as far as opportunity for upward mobility. You see a lot, the numbers tend to um, look pretty good when you look at the, the lower level um, and the lower ranks. Um, but as you begin to ascend, um, you know, those numbers start to, um, you know, fade out a little bit. And it's because, you know, their career fields, um, for whatever reason, there's lots of reasons people enter um, certain career fields, but those career fields tend, some career fields tend to have more opportunity for uh, upward mobility than others. Um, and so we need to do a better job of not only when we recruit, recruiting into certain career fields and making, uh, ensuring that everybody knows that, hey, when you come in, these are the career fields that are going to 
um, lead more to promotion um, at the at the senior ranks. Um, you know, and there's all kind of issues with you know with childcare, um, with deployments. Um, mm-hmm. There's a lot of issues that have to be um, addressed, and it's not just with women. Um, you know, it's it's with men too. Uh, we're finding that you know right. the male service members they want that stability just as you know just as much as women want uh, the stability. So I really think that um, you know as a whole, um, recruitment is one, but retention is definitely the key. All right. Real quick before we move on, I know off air we kind of mentioned, uh, Colonel Henderson, that your job uh, responsibilities also entail the Space Force. And that's kind of a, a new agency that not too many people know about. Can, can you kind of inform us on, on the Space Force and what they kind of do and how large is, are their ranks right now? Yeah, so um, so I'm I, I I don't know all of the numbers um, with Space Force, but what I do know is that um, OSI um, is the um, law, the felony law enforcement branch um, for both the Air Force, the Air Force, and the Space Force. Um, so just like the Marines uh, or the Navy, NCIS covers both the Navy and the Marine Corps um, because Space Force. Uh, falls under the Department of the Air Force, uh, we're also their federal law enforcement branch uh, as well. So we, um, we that is a, a, a new area, but again, it's we're about protecting you know uh, resources, Air Force and now Space Force resources, um, and all of anything that uh, uh, encroaches upon uh, DOD, um, the DOD area. So um, it is new and it is getting bigger. All right. Well, thank you for that. Yeah, because we heard about Space Force. I was like, what is that? You know, I heard of it recently. And, uh, you know, I guess it's for our, our ventures out into the wild blue yonder in, in space and all that. So, all right. Right. Our space, see that. Yeah, our, they're, they're now called, uh, we have Guardians. They're the uh, Space Force is called Guardians. As we're airmen, um, Army of Soldiers, and the Space Force are Guardians. Guardians. Oh. Okay, learn Guardians. something new every day. Guardians of the galaxy. <laughs> of the galaxy. <laughs> oh, no. I want the sword though. Yeah. <laughs> all right, all right. So, uh, so um, each of you being military officers, how does how is that process? What, how does one become an officer in the military? Uh, Lieutenant Colonel Henderson. Uh, I'm sorry, Lieutenant Colonel Parker. Are you back on now? Can you hear us? I don't think he can still hear us. So, so we will try to get him connected. In the meantime, let's uh, let's see. Uh, Commander Walker, can can you kind of tell us? I, in, uh, there you go. There you go. Now you can hear us. This is live, ladies and gentlemen. I think he's muted. Yeah, I think he's <laughs> muted. <laughs> why, why don't you take over there, Commander Walker, and then uh, and then we'll get him sure back. Sure thing. Go ahead. No problem. All right. So roughly speaking, um, there's three paths into the to the Navy um, as an officer uh, through the Naval Academy, through the officer candidate school um, or the reserve officer training corps. And then within those three paths, um, enlisted personnel are, are presented with opportunities as well to get in line uh, through that through those paths. OK, and what was your path? So I did, I was an enlisted officer. Um, it was a program called Seaman to Admiral 21. And that process, uh, when I was selected, 
they sent me back to school to get my degree. And while I was at the school, I was also assigned to the ROTC unit so that once I completed my degree, I also graduated having met all the requirements for commissioning. Okay. Yeah, I've always been interested in, in how that works. I have a great uh, respect for everyone that served, whether enlisted or in the, in the commission program. So yeah, I, I appreciate everything you guys do. That's a long, hard path. Um, so you went from, from your ROTC, you graduated, and then what, what's, what's the path after that as far as, uh, and, and what's the rank? Is it an ensign, lieutenant? What is it in the, in the Navy? Correct. Yes, it's, it's ensign. And so you, while you're in the ROTC or at the Naval Academy, uh, you are trying, you're competing for what we call designators. Um, the Army and Air Force think they call the MOSs. And when you're competing, you're competing for those opportunities to get on that career path. So I, I selected a nuclear surface warfare officer. So my career progression is to one day be a commanding officer of a ship and to also be the reactor officer on our nuclear power aircraft carriers and running those um, as part of the Navy's nuclear propulsion program. And that's, that's roughly a 20 year career. So you come in as an ensign, at some point you are, you uh, achieve the rank of captain or colonel, uh, that's the comparison with those uh, leadership opportunities. And you have step stones along the way where you develop yourself personally and professionally uh, supporting uh, and maturing toward those uh, top leadership positions. All right, all right. And it looks like someone was able to make it to the show after all. Um, welcome to the show, Colonel Shabazz. How you doing, <laughs> sir? Let's give you your, your fanfare there. <laughs> hey. <laughs> Well, we thank you for thank making you the time to come out and, and hang out with us for a little bit. Thank you. Thank you. Um, real quick before we move on with our question, why don't you tell everybody who you are and what you do in the, uh, in the U.S. Army? Yeah, uh, uh, Khaled Shabazz, I am a chaplain of the United States Army, just happens to be uh, the highest ranking uh, Muslim chaplain in the history of the United States military. I'm out at the United States Army RSET, and uh, I'm, my job is I'm just taking care of soldiers in my spare time. I'm a professor, author, and a motivational speaker. All right? All right. Thank you for joining us. Appreciate you. Appreciate you. Thank you for that you can finally come in. We, we understood that you had an emergency, so we're glad that you got through that and you're safe and uh, that you were able to make it back as well. So thank you. Uh, let's yes. see. Is Dr. Parker, are, are you okay? Are you there? Looks like you're frozen there. Okay, we will. Thank hopefully, right Dr. Now. Parker can come back. Ladies and gentlemen, this is live, so so make, make sure you keep sending in those questions and comments. If you, uh, we'll get those chat chat going here on the side here, and uh, if you put a cue in front of your question, we will make sure we get that on at a later time in the program. So, go ahead, Elizabeth. Next question is that. So I'm going to kind of throw a little bit of a curveball because we talked about um, earlier diversity and retention. Um, and we have the honor of being here with a panel of uh, quite a few people who have promoted into high ranks or um, positions of influence and power. 
do you feel, and I'll, I'll start with you, Colonel Shabazz, do you feel that, or did you have a mentor? What was, I guess, a key factor in helping you to stay the course and to continue to build? Um, and then if Colonel Henderson, if you want to chime in, and then Commander Walker, what do you feel was strategic or important in your process to getting to these leadership roles? Yeah, great question, and thank you for the question. Um, I was seeking mentorship. I tried to, you know, attach myself to a couple of people, uh, but those people seemed to wanted to make me clones of them. Uh, and my personality is, uh, one of the sayings I have for myself is, I'm influenced by many, defined by none. So I believe that each of us are individuals within ourselves, and we should take advice from people, but find our own way and our own identity. And one of the things I was blessed to get uh, when I was a young captain is, uh, it's an article and I'll send it out to everybody if you hadn't read it, it's called Why Black Officers Fail. Uh, and I honestly, I use that as a guide to guide me through my career. And one of the things it was talking about, African-Americans not taking the hard job uh, at the hint of racism or discrimination we kind of fold back and, it, and we kind of el eliminate ourselves uh, at the, uh, the hint of gender bias and things like that. And one of the, one of the things, and I'll, I'll let uh, Colonel Henderson talk, one of the things it was talking about being strong enough in your attitude of those who came before you to fight through some of those things uh, to make sure you get to a position where you can reach back and be a mentor for other people. Thank you. Absolutely. Thank you. And uh, Colonel Henderson, are you there? Okay. There you I, go. I am. Uh, okay. <laughs> okay. Go ahead there. So, um, so I've had a, a lot of, uh, I, I came in, um, like I said, I came in right out of high school and my sole purpose was to go to college, <laughs> um, to get money for college and to get my education. Um, and that's what I did. Um, but I also, along the way, um, enjoyed what I was doing. <laughs> and so that was my path. And when we talked about, um, you know, the different career paths, uh, I, I went strictly, I got my degree while I was on active duty, um, just going, you know, to night school. And I just, I got picked up for officer training school. So, you know, one day I was a, an E6 and the next day um, I was off at officer training school. And, you know, a few months later I was a second lieutenant. Um, so what has kept me um, are all the opportunities. Um, you know, I think a lot of people don't really realize or stay around long enough to take advantage uh, of the opportunities to um, to go to go up the ranks. Um, so, you know, the, the Air Force has paid for, you know, two master's degrees, <laughs> um, you know, in, in addition to the bachelor's degree that they, they got me. So um, th that's what I've done. I've had to, I've taken um, some of the tougher jobs, <laughs> um, you know, to say, hey, I'm willing to, uh, to step up. And, and, and do those and, and just really stay the course. You know, you don't always get what you feel like you want or even what you felt like you deserve. Um, but, you know, just to, to hang in there, you know, sometimes I say, hey, I've just hung out long enough. <laughs> you know, then, hey, I get knocked down, but get back up and, uh, and, and just, you know, really fight, fight for those opportunities. 
Um, and just make sure you're ready. You know, one piece of advice that I always, you know, tell people is when you get called off the bench, you got to be ready to go. You know, you can't say, wait a minute, hold on, let me go get my shoes on, you know, (laughs) Um, because often that's what happens. Um, and, and, and sadly, that's what happens with uh, minority officers. You know, sometimes it's just, you know, everybody else is kind of playing chess with their career and, and we tend to play pickup games. Um, and, yeah. But you got to be ready um, yeah. for that for that pickup game. When you get that opportunity, um, you get your shot. You got to You got to take it. Be ready to take it. That's right. That's right. Absolutely. That's good. good words of advice right there. Good words of advice. You know, uh, <clears throat> Uh, Dr. Parker t- spoke about earlier real quick about being an army brat. And, and I always kind of wondered about, you know, uh, you guys being always on the go, on the go. How is that conducive to family life? Do, do any of you have families and how is that in your family life having to pick up? Uh, you know, Colonel Henderson just spoke about, you know, when you get that call, you, you know, take it, take it. Um, are you able to do so with your and how's your family feel about that? Go ahead. Uh, Dr. Parker, go ahead. Um, you know, it's one of those things that you really try to develop some kind of balance. And, but it, it can really be trying because people talk about deployments, multiple deployments, and it's they're not including a lot of times the workups to get to that. So, you know, you add a, several months on to that on the front end. And I, I know, uh, you know, I have two sons, and, and, and the, the thing uh, that made me really uh, think about it uh, was I was deploying back to back. You know, one year I, I left and I, I missed all the holidays, um, birthdays, everything, all all uh, two years in a row. And, and then to have a, I believe uh, my oldest was about nine at the time. And he just asked me, oh, okay, so are you going to miss my birthday again? And it was just a very poignant uh, conversation, and it made, made you think about it. And then for me being an army brat, as, as, as you uh, do to, uh, I recognize how much of a norm that was for me because my father uh, left us in one location to try to give us as much of a normal life as possible. But he spent time in Korea, spent time in Germany, and he was always gone. So for my experience, it was um, very uh, challenging, uh, at least growing up, but then um, for, you know, um, rearing children, you, you become very aware that they're paying attention to it. So it's not something that you just do and you're not aware of it. Yeah, got you there. And uh, Commander Walker, real quick, if you want to jump in on that, please. <clears throat> Uh, oh, you're say, muted, sir. There you go. There you go. Oh. No, we got you. Go ahead. Okay. The One of my mentors always says, the Navy recruits the sailor, but retains the family. And mm. I, I found that to be very true um, throughout my career. Um, it, it tends to be a balance between career planning and family planning. And the more deliberate you are about both of those sides, um, the more right. informed the decisions the family can make, which then That's coincides right. making when you have to then take those hard jobs, like Colonel Henderson said, you're taking those hard jobs because you know it's tied to a family goal, not just a personal career goal. And thinking when you can strike that balance, 
the family's participation in military service uh, then becomes a little more bearable because you're sharing that burden. Yeah, indeed. Got you, got you there. Go ahead, next question. Yeah. Go ahead. That's, it's an old Go ahead. saying that it's better to be a family in the street than strangers in the home. I, I, mm. I think I, I love what Commander said that you you got to be intentional. I've been deployed seven times, and actually I've been in school for the last 25 years um, trying to recover my life, two doctors and four master's degrees. But a lot of, a lot of my work on those degrees or deployments when i'm at home i'm at home i have three children so each one of them had a day uh, and then i had a day i've been married 30 years and my wife had a day right and so you know you're going to be out that door you're going to be studying somewhere i love what the commander said you got to be very intentional about that a lot of times we just you know when we're back in garrison we're working eight nine at night I had a policy, and some of my bosses didn't like it. And I was willing not okay. to get the highest marks, but I would leave at five o'clock, go home and have dinner with my family, and I tell them, "Sir, ma'am, I'll be back, but I need to go have family, you know, family dinner." And a couple of them didn't like that, and I didn't get the highest marks, but I wasn't willing to sacrifice uh, my family for that. So you got to be intentional. Yeah, yes. I, I'll just add. Yeah, yeah, I'm just sad. And I, I really want to, uh, like the colonel said, I want to give a shout out to, you know, the families and especially the children. Um, you know, we signed up for this. And, you know, sometimes spouses, they signed up for it too, right? <laughs> um, because, we, you know, they were mar they married in, into the family. But kids, they just showed up, right? And this is <laughs> their life. Um, you know, my, my son, um, you know, he's, he's an adult now, but you know, he spent in his, you know, just high school, he went to seven different schools, uh, which, and I know that it's wow. seven because he reminds me of that mm. all the time, <laughs> um, you know, that, you know, yeah. it was always, you know, picking up and going and kids are, you know, kids are flexible and, you know, and, and, and they roll with the punches. Um, but, you know, you've got, you cannot do it without the support of your family, um, you know, so, and especially for, you know, single parents, um, you know, if you don't have that that support, um, you know, of someone who's going to be there during, you know, those late nights when you when you have to deploy, um, you definitely have to have a supportive family behind you, whether that's your immediate family or an extended family. Real, real. Well, well, kids, really, if you think about it, they just care about you being there. They, they don't care where you are. You know, we could be in, in Japan. We could be in Englewood wherever we're at so long as we're there as a family so that's that's all they really care about right yeah yeah absolutely yes. um yep. piggybacking off of everyone talking about you know being intentional um and family but also education and how education played a lot into kind of your career roles and things like that and we'll start with you dr poster and then dr parker and then uh colonel shabazz and then uh commander and colonel henderson if you all want to jump in also um, how do you feel, especially for minorities, that if you didn't have your education, would you have had the opportunities um, or the doors open? Or did you feel that it was a necessity in, in, in this particular, in your field in the military to get the pickup game? Because maybe if without it, you wouldn't have been invited to the game, to the, to the court at all. But do you feel that right. the education helped you get invited or... Um, education was really more of a fallback. A lot of officers do education as a fallback in case we get injured. Do you feel that this was a necessity for you to go forward in your careers? 
Yeah, I appreciate that. Uh, actually, I saw it as a necessity. You know, it's it's one of those things. I was slow to get started. I, I got started probably as a captain. And I say slow because some individuals, uh, as they they joined the service, they were able to pick up and start their masters uh, immediately. You know, they started. They continued school, and everybody talks about the professional education. And you're always going to get get that. Um, make sure that you get it, that you go to resident if you can go. But I had a general officer that she had two PhDs, and she really stressed that you know this is part of your professional development and your personal development. And the most important thing is to show up. And during one of her visits, she made sure just hey register. And I held back, and it was not until I had a number of junior Marines that were bringing their their forms for education for me to sign off. And as a young officer, you're signing um, that they're okay to go out and get their education, that it's not going to interfere with their duties. And it was after a young um, enlisted um, um, Marine started to surpass me. He was working on his master's. He was like, hey, sir, I need you to sign this. I'm like, oh, God, you know, and once I got started, I knew it was, I saw it was something that was starting to set me apart. And luckily I had the right mentors along the way that made sure that once you get started, you continue to go. And at each promotion, and I'll just say this, both for your personal education um, and then your professional, for any of those that are still in the service and, and, and thinking about it, the, some of the greatest words that are told to me is, you don't know where your career is gonna take you. So you make sure you um, sign up for the distance, and so I'm throwing that out there because individuals talk about or whatever else. And for those that are not in the military, you know, we can we can discuss that at another point. But you just make sure that you have all the credentials. And I'll go back on what um, something Colonel Henderson said about being ready. When you tell me an opportunity is there, and but you have to have this, but you have to have that. I just want to be able to turn back, grab whatever credential you just asked for, or have you go to my record, and and see. And so oh, yeah. that was the greatest thing. As, as I mm-hmm. start to get later in my career, individuals will look at my record and say, okay, well, you, okay, you already have that, but okay, well, you have that. And it, that, that helped me so much. And so when I completed my doctorate, you know, they were looking at it's like, okay, what else can you do? And so it was, it was great. It, it played a, it made a, a big difference for me to uh, have my education, both professionally and, and um, personally. No doubt. Colonel Shabazz. Colonel Shabazz. Yeah, you know, uh, growing up in the South, you know, mama and grandmama used to say, you know, you got to work twice as hard to have half as much, right? And so (laughs) for me, uh, I understood that, but I wasn't ready for it. But it was only after, you know, a lot of tragedy in my life. Uh, You know, I was molested at 10 years old, special education in eighth grade, failed in ninth and 12th grade. I got to college, uh, was trying to be somebody I wasn't, got shot in the back, uh, put in jail, and was thrown out of college. And so when I got to the military, you know, long story short, that's why I said I've been in school for the last 25 years. I was trying to recover my life. And then at that point, I realized something that, that Doc said, you know, and something my grandmother said, if you're gonna, if you're gonna make it here, you gotta be twice as good to get half as much. So. I went a little bit extreme with two doctorates and four master's degrees, but one of the things Just I wanted to do was 
Just a little bit. Just a little bit. Just a little bit. That's some extra credit. But one of the things right. I wanted to do was, because we, we talk about racism, discrimination, implicit bias. Uh, I wanted to, because I struggled with self-esteem all of my life, I wanted to know when my records, when they looked at my record, they, they have to discriminate against me, right? When they look at my record, I'm so overqualified. When, when, if they don't choose me for a job, I can sleep well at night. I guess that's what I'm trying to say. Because I know that I'm qualified. I know that I'm overqualified. I know that I outpace my peers. And I made a lot of sacrifice for that. So to answer your question, I do believe as an African-American uh, in this society, education is the great equalizer. Education in itself gives us an opportunity to get inside that door. You got to perform when you get there, but education gives us an opportunity to get there. Absolutely. Anybody else on it? And so, for and the Navy has been very um, innovative on it from an education perspective because, in our version of a meritocracy, education is directly tied to career progression. Like if you get to a certain point in your career and you haven't gotten a graduate education, then when your record goes before the board, they're going to say, oh, you had this opportunity to get education and you didn't. So that's going to oh, be wow. that's going to count against you. And so for myself, um, got my bachelor's degree in Norfolk State. I got my first master's from Old Dominion University in engineering management, which was tied to my nuclear mm. education. Then while I worked at the Pentagon doing uh, budgetary requirements uh, for amphibious assault ships, things like that, kind of the same ships that uh, your brother was on on LSD 37, that kind of same thing. Um, I decided to get my MBA as well with emphasis in human resources yeah. management because by that point I had recognized not only am I kind of a people person, but I also have this budgetary kind of financial experience. So I personally wanted to have some credentials outside of the military that accentuated or um, exponentially increased the value of the in-job experience that I got such that kind of like uh, Colonel Sebastian said, if they look at my record and they still don't pick me, I'll be okay. And we have to, and, but that, and that's tied directly to the deliberate planning that I talked about before. I know I want to try to be a flag officer one day. So when I was a lieutenant, okay, what do the flag officers now have? What do the captains mm. have? And so looking Jeez. out those 10 years, okay, these are the kind of things I need to do. These are the kind of jobs I need to take along with listening to my mentors. And so if I get it, great. But if I don't, commander retired, Desmond Walker will be just fine. And I can continue moving on with other things that I'd want to do. Awesome. Yes. Yes. Love that. That's so cute. Thank you for all these jewels and these gems. Um, <laughs> I'm excited. I do want to, and I'll start with um, Colonel Shabazz, and I don't know if Dr. Parker or Commander Walker or Colonel Henderson still in this lane, but you so graciously shared some of your journey and your personal journey um, and the areas of growing up and how you got to where you are. For law enforcement, mental health is just now becoming a priority for the officers and things like that. For in the and you as a as one of the chaplains, um, which is amazing too. 
and thank you for that portion that you give. Um, do you find that the military is prioritizing mental health of their um, their soldiers more now, or um, in in any of these fields, do you find that it's still got a stigma to it um, in terms of how, how they're treated, or or anything like that? Oh, or are they, or are they mean, less apt to ask for help? I think the I think the military on a wave top level is making it a priority, of course. But they're they're sitting in the in the balcony, you know, the grassroots where the soldiers are, you know, the first sergeant, the commander will say, oh, he, he's he's a problem soldier. Go see the chaplain. Uh, next thing you know, you're going to be hanging out at behavior health. It's still a stigma on it because the military is such a at least the army alpha male organization. And I can tell you a story here where I kind of got myself in a little trouble. Uh, but I believe in, in, in speaking, I won't say truth to power, but I just believe in being honest. I'm not trying to be outspoken, but, you know, one of the things that the, the, the GO said, he said, hey, we need to change our organization. We need to become more people friendly. We need to take care of the soldiers. And I said, you know, very hesitantly, you know, and I even start sweating, you know, because I knew this was going <laughs> to kind of rock the boat. Uh, but I said, sir, you know, that doesn't start at the top. It has to be implemented at the bottom. And let me tell you a story. And, and you know, I sit in on all these court marshals. And this one young man had raped four women in a weekend, right? That's atrocious in itself. But let me tell you what's more atrocious. It gets to his character witnesses. Every character witness that came from his chain of command talked about his 300 PT score. What a travesty. He shouldn't have had any character witness because all they talked about was his physical fitness. So my point to that is, yes, it's a horrible stigma when it comes to going to see the chaplain or behavior health. And so we put together a couple of programs here, but it's hard for people to come because even in the organization where we are the caretakers, the soldiers don't even trust us. You know why? Because we, we get OERs, officer evaluation reports, from the commanding general. So they're afraid yeah. we're going to tell. So unless we can separate uh, us from the hierarchy where they control our careers, it's going to continue to be a stigma. Just now, I just got out. All right. We can hear somebody's uh, family business going on right now, but that's all right. Again, ladies and gentlemen, we are live. We are live, ladies and gentlemen. Keep those comments and questions coming, and uh, we will get those up for you. I appreciate everyone's testimony that, that's uh, been on the panel so far. Uh, we got some questions already for you guys, so let's break to that part of the show here. Hey, you got uh, hey, Dr. Dan, Angela Pope. Hey, hey, Dan. Yeah, go hey, ahead, Dan, go can, ahead. I, can I just say one thing um, just Absolutely. from the Air Force perspective, just because yeah. I, I, I think I have a different perspective um, from the Air Force than with the Army. Um, I've been in a long time, um, and I'm also a field-level commander, so I have seen where mental health has come from um, in, 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 in the Air Force, um, and yeah. I would say in DOD in general. And for the Air Force, I think that stigma has, the stigma has largely been, um, I won't say eliminated, um, but it's been removed. 
um, where people are comfortable going. Now, whether or not there's enough resources to handle all of the, the you know, right. the mental health um, that they that they need, that's probably a different story. But I really have seen um, the stigma being removed, um, and you know, people feeling more comfortable. Not only have we done a lot to remove the stigma, um, the younger people today coming in um, don't have that same um, fear of going to mental health. Um, you know, and they understand. I know in all of my units, you know, we we really um, talk about taking that knee early, um, you know, and not waiting until you're circling the drain, <laughs> you know, the third time, um, right. and you're kind of going off the rails. Um, but if you get it early, and I, I find a lot of people are taking advantage of it so much so that resources become a problem, um, rather than uh, what used to be stigma. Yeah, love that. Real quick, uh, go ahead, Dr. Park. Yeah, and I appreciate the um, opportunity. Uh, you know, just as Dr. Um, Shabazz um, pointed out, uh, early on in my career, I saw the same thing. It was an alpha male uh, approach. And any of the support services, even uh, chaplain, you know, it was um, Padre, chaplain, hey, swing in, say this, and, um, you know, hey, pray us out. I was one of them. You know, it, it's, it's that approach. We want to keep moving. And if something yeah. happened to your Marine that took them out of the fight, it was um, heavily contested, you know, because that's a resource. That's something that, um, you know, you were provided a body to go do a job. And, you know, even the connotation or at least alluding to mental health back then, and I was the executive officer in the unit as we were getting ready to go. It's like, hey, send them to the wizard. So again, even that, that, that connotation, mm. the wizard, yeah. Um, to, to look at their head, see what they what they say. Mm. And I remember at times having someone say, okay, well, that's just a suggestion. You know, as the commanding mm. officer, I can determine what I'm going to take yes. and what I'm going that's to right. Now, we talk about, now that's back in the, the 90s. Uh, have I seen it improve? Yes, because it's been pushed even further. You know, so as I deploy more and more, you know, a decade later, Yes. Is it if someone is, is this, um, stating that they have a problem, are they more inclined to listen or more inclined to send them to help? Yes. Um, is it still a stigma? Uh, I would say that there, pro there probably is. There's slight, it's small, it's, it's reduced, but there's still something there because at the end of the day, it's about mission and it's about moving forward. And when you're deployed, if you're not, as we say, in the fight, then someone else is picking right. up your responsibility. And so now it's it's the job of those mental health professionals and those leaders to change that narrative that it's not that the person's being taken out of the fight, actually they're probably um, being able to perform even better if they're That's right. given that mental health or given that opportunity to get that mental health. So those are the, the point I just want to touch on. Absolutely. Those good points. Do you, before we move on, and I know we have a question, I, I kind of want to touch on this too, with the mental health and support systems, with all of the climate um, um, going on, especially like with law enforcement, with Black Lives Matter, and a lot of the um, revisiting and re-envisioning many of our infrastructures within our nations, do you find that your officers of color have expressed or um, there's like that inner conflict, if you like, you know, when we talk to some of our other officers, there's that inner conflict of, yes, I love serving. Yes, I love my nation. 
but yes, I'm in the skin I'm in and it's real. And so do you all find that conversation now happening a lot more um, with your officers of color? And is there a support system even within the, the community, the sub-communities of just saying, hey, we see you, we hear you, or is that still taboo? And uh, Commander Walker, if you wanna jump in and then Colonel Shabazz and everyone else. Yes, so um, I'll, in shortly after, uh, I'll pick a point in time just for context. Um, shortly after George Floyd was killed, um, you know, that, that shook everybody. Um, if you were African-American and you saw what happened, you were shook. And a very good friend of mine, uh, Captain Marcus Kennedy, um, wrote an article uh, for a Navy institution, a prestigious magazine um, about intrusive leadership. And he, 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 the point of his article was leaders just need to ask their um, Coast Guardmen, their sailors, their, their airmen, their seamen, um, are you okay? You know, um, because that, that struck a chord with, with our community. And then uh, that article inspired me to write one as well um, called The Burden of a Black Naval Officer, where I kind of characterize um, mm. the, the story of racial injustice in the military, bookended with two chiefs of naval operations, um, going back with Admiral Zumwalt, who was the 19th CNO, and then Admiral, and then the 32nd CNO, where in this 50 year span, shortly after George Floyd was killed, shortly after George Floyd was killed, the current CNO echoed the same sentiment about racism is in our military, it's wrong, discrimination is wrong, and we need to do something about it. And it was a painful but cathartic article to write because in one instance, you have this, this contemporary recognition that there are issues, but at the same time, in 50 years, we still feel like nothing has changed. And so then moving on past that, we have conversations where, where orders come out, where commanders and commanding officers are told or directed to have these conversations with their, with their teammates and to try to advance the problem um, towards solutions, even so much to where they established a task force, it was called Task Force One Navy, um, that was headed by the director, um, Rear Admiral uh, Alvin Holsey, where they ended up with 56 recommendations coming from this thing to where it's time to actually put action to these burdens that we have carried um, as part of not just being service our country, but also to being uh, a part of the citizenry. And so in, in all the while, we still have our Facebook groups and our text groups and our Facebook messenger groups where we it locally still have to support each other. Even right now, I got three different groups in Facebook where I got brothers that I reach out to um, to talk about what I'm feeling with in the moment. Um, and so I'm sure that that happens um, across the services. Absolutely. Yeah. Yep. Right. I, yeah, I, I would say, you know, before before George Floyd um, talking, there there weren't conversations um, about racism. Um, the closest that we got to it was unconscious bias. <laughs> um, and even even that was, you know, kind of a, a real delicate uh, conversation. Um, but um, after the George Floyd uh, murder, we're going to just call it, um, it was 
it, it really opened up um, a, a lot of wounds, I think, um, and people needed to talk and everybody recognized that. Um, so since then, there has been um, a lot of conversations, um, you know, about how people have been feeling um, and things that have been taking place, um, you know, across the country, you know, with, within the within the service um, and outside the gates. Um, so I think it is becoming more open, um, but there's a whole lot more dialogue that needs to take place. For real, for real. For real. No, I don't I'm know if that's you're muted, sir. I think you're still muted. Can you hear me? There you go. There you go. We can, now we can. Okay. Yeah. So I was at the uh, Army War College during that time, and I had a subject that I wanted to write on, but then I changed it to uh, moral injury. Um, and those of you mm. who are familiar with moral injury, um, it's not just the act of doing something in war that is um, uh, that makes you uncomfortable or affects your soul, uh, because you started off talking about the dichotomy of serving and with the racial uh, uh, implicit bias. So I, I chose moral injury. And, you know, what's interesting about that, when you choose a subject like that, you're just trying to be scholarly and add to the conversation. But what happens is. <laughs> you get pulled into the back room and talked to like it's an FBI investigation, right? Like, you know, why are you writing this? And so, you know, I have to explain why I'm writing this and why it's important as a, a 06 in the United States Army for those people who are be coming behind me that this article is written uh, well and is published. Second thing, uh, when I get when I get to uh, get to my new unit, you know, one of the things that uh, um, my the people that I'm in process of would always say, well, I don't see color. Everything is green. So, again, I got to take these deep breath. You know, I'm, fr I'm from Louisiana, so we've been conditioned to just say yes, sir, and no, sir. <laughs> but I think as an African-American senior, I think it's a time to have a little courage. I'm not telling you to be bombastic. But one of the things I told the person was, uh, well, if I said, Ma'am, sir, that's called micro invalidation. When you say you don't see color, you're invalidating my existence. I say, let me help you help your soldiers. And you can say, mm. you see my color, but I won't discriminate against you because I'm a fair person. You know, that was met with a 45 minute conversation because it was done intellectually and it wasn't done attacking the person. Okay. And so we had a great conversation. Thirdly, uh, like the commander said, we had all of this this training. And one of the things I did before the training started, because I was kind of uh, put it in charge by the chief of staff, and one of the things I told him, yeah, you can, you guys speak openly. However, comma, I don't ever want you to feel that this is non-attributional. I mean, we got a history. So please speak openly. But as we say in the Army, you know, do what your rank can stand because people still are going to be around you in these units. And so what I suggested is what the commander suggested or what he does now is to get some groups outside, scream, cry, be emotional. But you got to be very careful. We go back to what Colonel Henderson said. You're playing chess. You know, I know it's emotional time. Yet three of my brothers, God bless them, they went on Facebook 
had rants talking about Caucasian Americans. All three of them, lieutenant colonels, were relieved because they were talking about commander. They were talking about the president of the United States. 15-6, general officer letters reprimand. Careers are over, and now they're blaming the Army. No, it's you. You're in, a, you're in a senior position. You can't be that emotional. That's it. Thank you. You know, I love this and, and the point about playing chess. And I go back to your original uh, premise when you said, are you in conflict? Absolutely. Because when you look at the numbers, on the enlisted side, um, the, 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 the racial balance is, is more in line. But when you come into the officer side, there's very few individuals that look like us the higher we go. And so as the services, you know, understandably are conservative in nature. Everybody knows, um, I, you know, I, I saw some junior, um, junior Marines that identified as um, one party or, or as Republican or just being conservative, just because tr as tradition or as history has shown, one service or, or one party, uh, you know, tends to uh, do a little bit more for the military budget. And they know yeah. no other reason why. You know, just young people just saying, oh, well, that's where raises come from and that's where whatever. And still misguided in that. But my whole point is now you're in a room. The more senior you become, you're in a room with individuals that don't look like you and they uh, assert their opinion. And then there's that, that moment in time in which you have to do a value check. And as you know, Colonel Shabazz was saying is play chess. Know that you may be um, intentionally or unintentionally being baited to give your opinion and then there would be repercussions. Now, right. I'm gonna flip this. This, this mm -hmm. is an interesting uh, point because right after the um, George Floyd murder, I, now I mentor individuals all races um and yeah. um actively even even still now i'm retired i still have officers that reach out to me and i'm talking them through their career but this one interesting phone call i got was from a white officer now this had just happened and let's just say he he was at a school where we pulled them out of their normal duties and he's off with other services and they're going to be there for about a year, two years off, off at the senior school. And they can't, they don't have the freedom to come and go. And what had just happened was a email went out from a minority instructor and he replied in such a way as if discounting someone else's feelings on an issue in the classroom. Now he happens to be a bald white individual. And I even told him just quite point blank. I said, unfortunately, you are the picture of what is, is being viewed as uh, mm -hmm. white supremacy right now. I mean, if, if, if we were to sit there, I love him, I love him to death, but it's, I, he asked us, <laughs> what do I do? What do I do? I said, hey, um, you're from the South. You so one time you fit head. the profile. <laughs> yeah, and I, and I told him, he said, sir, when I, he made that, that fatal social media or, or email mistake, he hit reply all by accident. And he blasted it out and he said within 10 minutes, he started getting all these things from his classmates. And he said, sir, what do I do? And I said, well, unfortunately, now he didn't say anything wrong, but what the person was saying, how dare you 
invalidate my feelings. How dare you? You don't have a right to say, I can't feel what I'm feeling. Yeah. And really the best advice I could give him right now, I said, you're gonna have to ride this one out. There was no, you know, the individual wanted to meet with him and he, he immediately went to the senior officer of, of his service. And I said, by all means, do not meet with him because he's hurting. These other mm. individuals are hurting. And, and it was the best way I could tell him because I said, right now, this was about a week or two weeks after um, George Floyd was, was murdered. And I said, everyone, especially of color, and they're in a place where in this uniform, they can't get out. And all their emotions are bottled up right now. And you happen to peep your head up over the berm, as we would say, and you're a target right now. And so I, I tell you, um, you and, and that's ultimately what he had to do. He just said, hey, there's going to be time that you're going to have the opportunity to talk. They called them together and everything else like that. But I said, you know, it's, it's some challenges even on the other side um, as well. And so that was just a, a point that I just want to make that even they don't know how to act in some of these situations on how to address and come to us um, in, in those instances. So, so I, I also think some of the conversations that we're trying to have, we're asking people to understand what's going on now without any historical context. Um, because, you know, some people, including people who look like us, <laughs> don't have a true sense because it hasn't been taught. It's not taught in schools. Um, you know, you may get a little, a little flavor of it, but, you know, I still have people who, you know, look me in the eye and tell me that the Civil War was about states' rights. Um, and that's all <laughs> they have learned about it. Um, and so I think we have to, right, I think we have to back up um, because, and that's how, that's how I've approached it. And my unit is, hey, you know what, let's back up. We all know what blatant racism looks like, okay? Nobody needs to be told what, you know, blatant racism looks like. It's the, it's that, the undercurrents. It's why we need, yep. we have to help people understand why we need equity. Okay, and and how the system became what the system is. Um, and if you don't understand history and you don't back it up to look at, you know, all of the the I mean, first of all, the economic disadvantages um, that or, or the economic advantages um, that have been given um, for hundreds of years, you're never going to understand um, what's going on today. So I think often when we have these conversations, we just focus on the here and now um, and people just say, oh, yes, that was wrong. But that's one bad apple or, you know, no, nobody would do that. Um, I think we have to understand, we have to take people back um, and give, give, give some history lessons and show how we got here, yep. um, because that's the only way Absolutely. we can move forward. Right. I think it's key too, as, as uh, Colonel Shabazz mentioned, to not do it from an emotional place, but from an education and, and it's right. very hard. And so you have to process this, not to ignore the emotions, but be in a place to have the conversation, to not be triggered emotionally so that you can effectively um, educate um, and and bring light and bring truth because people won't convert regardless. There's gonna be some people that are gonna be, I shall not be moved, they're gonna stay where they stay, but it won't be because they don't have the um, information they need. It will be because that is their choice and you can proceed that way. But I think that's so key in not being emotional and using the bigger picture and not the, the immediate response or the immediate issue at hand, but helping them to see the whole system in and of itself. Yeah, yeah. 
This is a Absolutely. great conversation, and I want to keep this going here, but I want to make sure we get these uh, questions on that uh, some of our viewers have posed to you guys in the panel. So let's make sure we get that on, uh, producer Liz. Uh, Dr. Angela Pope on YouTube asked, what advice do you give young people who do not believe education is a component to help drive their careers? Let's start with you, uh, Dr. Parker. You know, the, the first thing I would um, tell them is, I, I, well, first, I don't know where, where, the, where you would have gotten that, that notion because it, it really comes down to one point that we made earlier. Uh, education is the uh, key to opening doors. And what we are finding now, it's a major discriminator um, today. Uh, a recent article uh, noted that in individuals say, hey, a lot of jobs out there that don't re well, they don't understand how it requires a certain degree, a bachelor's, associates, or, or whatever to do a certain certain job. And what that's actually communicating to you that they're, there's, they're opening screens or they're setting screens to keep individuals out. And so when we talk about education, and this is the thing that you stress to all young people, you have to get that because that's giving you one more key on your key ring. If someone is going to place a barrier before you, get that key. And you just gotta mm -hmm. understand, you may not like education, you may not like going to school, but as I said earlier, if somebody is trying to deny me an opportunity that I see whatever it is, and they say, but you need this, all I want to be able to do is check my record and it's there. And that's, you know, whether you go into a certain field or you choose to do something else, education is going to get you in the door. All the way through. Colonel Shabazz. And, and one, one of the things is I, I try to meet people where they are, right? Uh, because people People see the, the education, and I understand, you know, Louisiana was second to last as far as educational, you know, you know uh, in the nation. And so I know a lot of people speak out of their pain and their trauma. So they may not, they may tell you they don't want an education, but they only tell you that because they don't think they're good in school. So that's when they have an opportunity to explain to them. And this is where I believe leaders need to be more transparent. And I had a lot of practice on this with my own children. I have three grown children who struggled some in school. And I, I learned to be very transparent with them about my failures in education. And because I did that with them, I won't say they began to love education, but they understood what doctor said, that this education is gonna have a pathway to me getting where I wanna go, right? And so when I explained it from that perspective, they did what they needed to do. And then of course, you know, you know, being who I am and a motivational speaker, I have all kinds of sayings. You know, one of the one of the sayings, I'll give you two sayings. One is until you change the way you look at things, the things that you look at will never change. Right? So I try to give people to give an opportunity for people to look at things differently as juxtaposed to just looking at the short term. The second thing that I use uh, on young people that's been very effective because I go into a lot of these alternative schools. You know, I say most people die at 25, but they're not buried until they're 75 because they are born into the false narrative of reality. 
somebody has told them it's not realistic for them to get a college degree because their parents didn't have a college degree and they lived okay. They had a car and they had a house. You know, that's a false narrative. They bought into that. So they really have given up on all their hopes and dreams and just waiting until they're 75 years old, somebody throw the, death, the dirt on their face. This is one of the most uh, horrendous things that I've found in life. Uh, I've been able, by God's grace, to put 82 people through officer school who, well, 70, 78 of those people were African-American. But it was a process where I had the time to sit down with them for hours and hours and months trying to convince them that they were smart enough to do it and even sometimes help them write the papers. And then their esteem came up their confidence came up, and those people are doing well today. I, I think a lot of times, and I'll, I'll end here, we as leaders get to a certain point in our lives, and we forget that we were those dysfunctional people with wrong mindsets. And we're so busy now, right? We don't have the time to take time and go and hold those people's hands because you say, oh, they should do better. Well, if they know better, they'll do better. And sometimes a person like you, they look at you and me, they think we're so high and mighty and highfalutin. And I often have to tell them the only difference between me and you is a decision. I'm not mm. smarter than you. Mm. I didn't have more decision, more chances than you. I made those opportunities by sacrificing. Right. I, you know, I, I, look at, I look at education as, as a key. And if you're okay with only 50% of the doors <laughs> being opened for you, um, then okay. Um, you know, that's a decision you make. Um, but you've got to know right off that there are going to be opportunities that you will never have. Um, and what education does is allow you to um, learn how to think critically so that you start to realize why you want all 100% of those doors to be open for you, um, that you can go wherever you want um, and you can decide, okay, well, I don't want this, um, but if you don't have the education, the decision is not yours to make. You're automatically going to be funneled through certain doorways and, and, and you're not going to, you're not going to get past those. I'll add, and I'll add to that the, and the question asks about convincing young people that education is important or relative to that. Um, I think it's, it's education is directly proportional to opportunity. And what I mean by that is if a youth, if a young person isn't convinced that they have opportunities, then for them, there might not be a reason to go get an education and vice versa mm -hmm. that you tell them, Hey, go get this education. They're going to be like, for what? Why do I need to go to college? I don't even, why would I, I don't even know what I would do. And I don't know what I would do with that education other than get some debt. Um, so I think that's what our youth leaders need to get better at um, because you can't, you can't use the same argument. Like, like Colonel Shabazz said about, you know, just work real hard and put your head down and grind it out and you'll, and you'll be okay. Our, our world is too advanced for that. Now is that everything is driven by technology nowadays. And so yes. you have our our career counselors, our PT, our PE teachers, um, our community service folks 
all those different people have to change their message and tie opportunities to the reasons why the education is important. Um, it's yeah. no different than our kids nowadays. When we say go clean up your room is why it's the same thing. <laughs> go get an education. Why? You know, I don't care if you want to be a plumber or you want to go build the next space rocket. You still got to go to a trade school, vocational school. You got to do something. Mm-hmm. So, That's but right. if you don't have a desire, if no one's convinced you that being an electrician, being a plumber, building houses, um, laying pipes uh, uh, for houses, uh, that kind of stuff. If no one is exposed you to that being an actual opportunity, then why go get an education? So I think the message has mm-hmm. to change. Yeah, yeah. That's good. All right. That's Appreciate important. that. And real quick, uh, before we move on, we had one more question that was just posed. Uh, Producer Liz, if you want to get that up for us. Um, sorry, I'm probably butchering this name here on YouTube. Casada Escobero says, how do you manage your emotions in a professional setting when recently we saw that even in uniform, we are discriminated against by police? How do you do that? Uh, we, we didn't really want to get into that so much, but how do you, you know, you guys are taught that in the military, how to manage your emotions. How do you manage your emotions in situations in the military? How do you mil- how do you manage your emotions when you're out on the street dealing with uh, with the citizens and law enforcement? Colonel Henderson, the IG, take that one first. <laughs> I was so, just about to you say know, that. Right, Black right. Man, always saving the world. Come on, Colonel, you got it. <laughs> you know, so so some of it is just you know you, you take a deep breath um, and you choose your words carefully. Um, and you realize, you know, in any setting, you know, you're the professional, <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm at work. The person that I'm dealing with is not at work. <laughs> um, so I can't expect them to behave, I, you know, to behave in a certain manner. Um, there's no rule book for how you, you present yourself, um, you know, in your off-duty time. But I'm not off-duty, right? Um, right? But as far as within the military, you know, it's about you know, finding your voice, speaking your truth, um, but choosing your words, um, you know, picking your battles, um, because there's a whole lot of, there's a whole ba- whole lot of battles, right? And you, and you can't fight them all because, you know, sometimes you just become, you know, you become noise um, and then it's, you're, you, nobody hears anything that you say. Um, right. So picking, you know, choosing the right time, um, the right place um, to, to bring it up. There's sometimes, you know, I'll just jot down a little note Um, And I may not say anything about it for, you know, a week, a month, you know, until the time is right um, to bring it to, you know, to bring it up. Or maybe you don't bring it up at all. You just you you look and you're watching out for similar similar situations um, and you make sure that you lay the groundwork to ensure that that doesn't happen again. You look for those look for those barriers and and you look for opportunities to, to to say your piece. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yes. Uh, jump in on, on that one. Um, just as Colonel Anderson was um, talking about, uh, you know, not fighting every battle. And, and it goes back to an earlier notion we made about playing chess. You need to understand uh, the profession that you're in. And whether you're a junior uh, individual or a senior individual, everybody's training to be a, a leader. And although you can't separate yourself from the world completely around you, uh, you have to take into context uh, 
what are the ramifications? Uh, you know, there was a 60 minute piece that was just released not that long ago and happened to speak on uh, a couple of service members happened to speak on having to change the way that they communicate and how they even walk, walk into a room. And that's always being perceived as being the angry black man or the um, angry black woman. And I've actually heard these terms um, before. And it's one of those things, you know, I even go back to, uh, uh, this is something I just saw and an individual was asking like, what is it like to be a black woman in America? And uh, he said, it was tiring because it's, I'm always playing defense. <laughs> and for those that play sports, yes. you know, um, no one likes to really play defense because you, you exert a whole lot of energy to keep someone um, uh, comfortable or, I mean, you defend someone. A lot of people just like to go play offense. And they were saying that's what it felt like for those that were not minorities could just play offense. They could just go and do whatever they're going to do and not worry about offending someone or being perceived a certain way. So what I just said, and, and they spoke on it in this, that 60-minute piece, um, you walk into a room and a black male that has a deep voice and stands tall or something like that, it can be um, intimidating. You know, I, I come in, I'm six, seven, I walk through doors and individuals, you know, um, first it's the height issue and all those other things. And then you look at your credentials that you bring to the table, but you can't be passionate about something because then yeah. I've heard it and I've perceived it as like, okay, she's, she's, she's just angry. Okay, wait a minute. That's not the same thing that you just said a minute ago. And I've been um, a senior officer where I've, I've um, had a um, senior individual that totally discounted something that my colonel, she said, you know, 10 minutes ago, I just happened to say it. And it just wind up being one of those things that you understand who you're talking to. And so you got to, it's a burden, but you have to outthink the situation. Yeah, Colonel Henderson talked about history, right? And so when you understand the history of implicit bias, you understand the history of how you're perceived, you understand those perceptions in the context of who you are, and you may be the only person or the uh, only woman, uh, the only black person in, in that situation, uh, you have to move defensively. Like the doctor said, I'm 6'5", 265 pounds, and a very animated person, as you can tell. And so, you know, people were saying, you, you know, you're too aggressive, you're too loud, and you're too this, right? And so what, what I had to do is I got to go back and analyze and find out how I can move this personality, this big body, to ensure that I can get to a place to help people that are coming behind me. I think sometimes we're the reason our emotions aren't in check is because we're only thinking about ourselves, right? I always think in the context of the larger community, and if I've gotten this far, how can I maintain and sustain where I am so I can help people in this space? We did a Black History program uh, probably about two months ago, and I was the keynote speaker. I just got to this unit, <clears throat> and I tell you, if you ever seen Tiger Woods after he's uh, going to the 18th hole, where all the black people, where all the big crowd is following him. After the Black History program, like everybody in U.S. Arsenal was following me to my office, right? Because they, <laughs> seriously, uh -huh. 
they just you get finally get a black chaplain and then you got somebody there that they could talk to. So what am I saying there? I'm saying now I got to be very conscious of what I say, how I say it, so I can stay in the position because I'm going to help hundreds of people just by being here. Even if we're just talking about sports or whatever, they have somebody to come to that they can confide in and I can help them. So I'm always very conscious, uh, even when I'm angry. I'm a very con I love what Colonel Henderson said where I might say something. I may not. I may wait two, three months. I may wait when I'm leaving the unit and say, hey, brother, you know, you said this. And I just want to tell you, if you're saying this to an African-American, that probably you probably shouldn't say that in your next duty station because it, it could turn out bad for you. Right. Yeah. And that's just the facts. And you have to be a strong person to do that because it's not like you don't go home at night and you're doubting yourself. I should have told that mother father off. I mean, you know what I'm saying? You, you going home. <laughs> you going home doubting yourself if you black enough because they said some stuff that you know was wrong. Yeah. In my, and, and I'll say this in closing, you know, I'm always thinking about preserving the spot that I have to protect those who are coming to me so I can help them. Wow. Wow. Yep. Love that, man. Love and, that. And just ahead, I'll quickly say, I'll quickly say that for me, it's like the opposite. I'm 5'10", 175. So ain't nobody intimidated by me. But <laughs> but what that but what that show, does. Show, show those guns, is, Commander. Show those guns, Commander. <laughs> <laughs> I know you got them. But, um, yeah, I, I do I do my, my workouts here and there. There but, you go. Uh, it, it's the it's the almost like the opposite where People think that because you're you're not intimidating, um, that you're the guy that they can come to and say, "Hey, man, you don't really think like that, too, do you?" Or they oh, feel wow. comfortable. They feel comfortable saying something that they probably wouldn't say around somebody that they're intimidated by. So then oh, wow. I then have a choice, or people like me have a choice to say, "Okay, am I going to lead in this moment?" Or am I going to just mm. continue to stay quiet and then let them then start to believe that, okay, he's not down or he's not this. He's one that we can trust. And so you got that oh, dynamic wow. too. And so it, it, but, it, but, it, but it's the same thing where you still got to pick your battles. You got to play chess. You got to do all these yeah. things because if you want to continue to move forward, continue to, um, be more influential again starting with and i would say across the board all of us all four of us our record speaks for itself hands down we wouldn't be here if we didn't have the record but it's that additional burden where you got a code switch or something like that mm. to maintain that position so that mm. you can be influential when it's time to cash that check you can yep. do it with the right level of credibility and accountability and know that your armor can take that hit and you keep moving. Wow. That's good. Wow. Yes. That's, that's heavy. Yes. Oh, this conversation. Wow. So nice. That's, that's so heavy. Well, they come into you. Oh, I'm dropping dimes today, Colonel. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I love this, you know. You know, the key, key word today, key phrase, 
playing chess. You know, I, I, I've been more of a Monopoly dude. I'm going to have to pick up chess now after hearing this 45 times yes, during this conversation. <laughs> love it. Love it. Playing chess. You know, I'm not taking my errands off. <laughs> you know, another thing. As the They'll be like, Liz, sit down. Liz, Liz, Liz. cool out, cool out. You got the long game. Afterwards. We got the long game. Yes, we just yeah, had a situation know, as, the other day. A, from a, from a right. female, you know, from a woman's perspective, you know, you guys talk about, you know, you're you're six ten, you're you know, you, you're tall and you're big, but it doesn't matter. I mean, I am none of those things, and I have been my entire career been, you know, said, oh, I'm I'm intimidating, um, I'm mm. aggressive, I'm. Mm-hmm. Um, I had some person actually say, I'm scary. <laughs> you know, it's like, okay, oh, wow. you know, none of these wow. things. So when we talk about, wow. when we talk about mental health, um, you know, there's sometimes where you really, you know, you've got to have a strong, uh, you know, sense of, uh, self-confidence and, uh, self-awareness just to kind of make it through the day sometimes. Um, and there are yeah, these yeah. things you, you sit back and you try to do this and I'm like, I'm doing nothing, um, differently than what my peers are doing. Um, but right. I recently went to a, a training um, where there were all um, senior senior officers there, all um, you know, commanding at, at my level and above. And one of the things that one of the blocks that they were talking was about power and how when you reach senior levels, people don't they won't question you anymore. Or they won't tell you you know if they think that you're doing something wrong. Mm. And I was like, really? Because I don't have that. I don't have that. That's not my experience. I have very junior people that feel very comfortable, <laughs> you know, feeling as though they know my job uh, a lot better um, or, or, or questioning my credentials. Um, so I think, you know, when we look at that. It's a very different uh, experience, um, you know, and usually it's not women. It's usually men. Uh, but again, it doesn't come from men, you know, from my peers and above. Sometimes it comes from, you know, people very junior. Um, wow. So I think that's an experience, you know, that we, you know, we don't think about all the time, but yeah, you know, you're always being, you know, second guessed <laughs> um, and feeling like, you know, hey, how did you get here? Show me that you belong here. Um, it's almost yes. like, you know, your, your first, your first, um, I, I want to say month, first couple of months or maybe even years, you're, you feel like you're you're having to prove that you belong, um, yes, and wow. there's there's no room for missteps. Good points. That's good true. points. Yeah, yeah. Well, every every now and then, Colonel, you got to clap back, as they say, and and let them know. <laughs> let them know. Yes. For real. That's true. For real. All right. Well, I love and this conversation. Don't do it with we a could. Smile. No, right. Don't. <laughs> Uh, don't, uh, no, don't no, let them know. Yeah. Uh, no, no. Yes. <laughs> sometimes, uh, you know, they say it really is true. You catch more flies with honey. So sometimes, you know, you can have a smile That's true. while you're, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. you know, they walk away two days later and be like, why am I bleeding? Right. <laughs> <laughs> For real. <laughs> For real. <laughs> All right. So true. So, uh, so we, we're going we're gonna to wrap this up. Uh, like I said, this could go on forever. Uh, but I, I know we all busy people here. You guys are busy people. So let's wrap this up. Uh, I'll go through one by one uh, real quick. If you could tell everybody, us and, and our audience, what's the next step for you? And uh, just something that you can leave our audience with some 
some words of wisdom that you could leave our audience with. We'll start with you, uh, Colonel Shabazz. Yeah, one one thing I'd like to, to leave you with is don't live, uh, leave a live of regrets. I think you should be bold. I think you should be confident. Uh, in the whole scheme of things, uh, for you to really be happy and peaceful, you have to be who you are. And I know that's a struggle for us sometimes because we're always on the defense. Now, all of us on here, our, our children are probably grown, but one of, the, one of the things that I wanted to be my mission in life was to not leave my children a life where they had to recover from. I'm going to say that again. I wanted to leave my children so they didn't have a life where they had to recover from. So I had to lead the way. I had to be unapologetically intelligent, unapologetically confident, and unapologetically who I was to be so I can show them the way. And so I'd like to leave you guys uh, with that. Uh, obstacles, are the, I mean, <clears throat> the, my last statement is, if your ship don't come in, swim out to meet it. I think whatever you want to do in hmm. life, I think you have the opportunity to do that. You just have to go for it. And I believe God uh, will assist you in that. That's all I have. Thank you guys for inviting me. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Thank you. Love it. Love it. Commander Walker. Yes. Um, so what's next for me is I'm actually getting ready to transfer next week uh, to start my uh, training pipeline uh, for as a prospective commanding officer. I'm going to I'm assume duties as executive officer of USS Bainbridge, um, DDG 96, a guided missile destroyer um, early next year. And then soon thereafter, probably around 18 months, I would if all things go well. I would flee up to be that ship's commanding officer. So that's my immediate future next three years or so. Um, and one thing I will leave for the, the viewers and listeners is uh, a quick story on uh, my joining the Navy. Um, I have an uncle, um, Uncle YZ Ely, blues legend from Mississippi, Natchez, Mississippi. Throw him a sh quick shout out. Um, I went to see him a month before I left for boot camp. And we had a great conversation because he did four years in the Navy. I think he served on USS Sperry, I believe, a, a subtender. Uh, and after our after our visiting with him, he left with me these words: uh, "Never let the color of your skin be the reason you're not successful." And I've carried that uh, quote forward for the last 24 years. Um, I've I understand um, more and more every year. Uh, what my service means to the country um, in a larger context of this country's history. Um, that's not lost on me as I continue to mature and get older. And I can say that uh, with great confidence that when, if, if I ever thought that my skin color came into play, I didn't let that stop me. Um, I found another, I found an alternate route. I didn't, I didn't let success be defined for me. I define success. And, and as I continue to move forward, I'll continue to serve the military until I no longer select for promotion or whatever the case may be. And I'll be okay with that because I know that I did everything I could. I left everything on the court, as we would say, um, being pulled up for the pickup game or pulled in for the game. And so um, that's, that's what I leave for the viewers. No excuses. Great. No excuses. No excuse. All right. Love that. Love that. Colonel Henderson. 
All right, so again, thank you, Dale and Elizabeth, for um, this having this space um, and giving uh, us the opportunity to, to share some of our experiences. Um, I do want to say, like everyone else has said, we have talked a lot about um, challenges um, and barriers, but don't focus on those. Um, focus on the opportunities um, because they are there. Um, and if that's what you focus on, um, you know, the, you, you will find that um, you can't overcome the barriers. So I will pass on something that someone said to me when I was um, thinking about applying to officer training school. Um, one of the, somebody told me that um, the opportunities were really limited, um, and that they weren't selecting very many people with, you know, from my, my background. And so I, I was gonna, I let that discourage me. And someone, um, a, a colonel came, asked me, she said, hey, do you have your package ready? And I said, no, I don't think I'm gonna apply because um, they told me they're not accepting uh, a lot of people um, from my background. And she asked me, she said, did they say they're not accepting a lot or did they say they're not accepting any? And, and I thought about it and wow. she said, mm -hmm. if they're only yeah. taking one, Powerful. why can't you be that one? <laughs> and That's it. that was what, um, and I said, you know, I didn't have an answer for that. <laughs> and uh, so I submitted and, um, and here I am. So again, if they're only taking one, don't count yourself out. You can be that one. You can be that one. You the one. Absolutely. Uh, you the one. So good. <laughs> you the one. All right. Hey. Again, thank you. Thank you for this. Thank you. Thank you. All right, uh, Dr. Parker. And as everyone else said, I'm Dale and Elizabeth. I really appreciate you um, having me here and giving me this opportunity and this space. Uh, as for you know what I would leave everyone with, it really goes back to that comment about um, playing defense or offense. I am, you know, one of those individuals that I hate the word potential. Potential, after the first maybe second time someone tells you, you need to take it as um, really the message that they're giving you is that you're not uh, living up to all that you can be in that space or in that in that in that time, you know, it's OK to uh, say it and say, hey, I see gifts in that individual. It's OK for you to look at it and take that initial message as OK, that those individuals see gifts and see opportunities for me. But you got to change that that uh, potential into a reality. You got to get on the offense. And I live in that that space where you know I'm, I'm you know a good basketball player. I'll, I'll cover I'll cover some defense. I'll lock my man down. But then as for offense, you you've got to stay on the attack. And what I tell individuals, and I used to um, I actually posted it up on on the wall as I was pursuing my doctorate. The Calvary's not coming, you know, because people live in a space where they're always waiting for someone else to come and deliver an answer or possibly deliver a solution. And so I lived in the world of. The Calvary's not coming. Let's get busy. Let's get it. Mm. Whatever you mm. want to go after, yeah. and, and, you know, don't think that there's somebody coming to the rescue. You are that rescue. Mm -hmm. You go absolutely whatever gift, whatever gift you have for the world that could help somebody else. So that's really the message that I will leave: is don't get comfortable with the potential. The Calvary's not coming. And the last one, I guess, is as as Doc said, you know, you're leaving with nuggets that you normally leave with others. I talk about managing the circle. There's lots of inputs and outputs that you have around you. 
whether it be your business, your work, your friends, or anything else, if you're not where you need to be, you need to manage that circle. That's all I got. That's good. Yeah. Wow. Outstanding. Awesome. Outstanding. I love this. I yeah. love this today. I appreciate each and every last one of you coming on to the show and spreading your knowledge and your wisdom and your inspirational words for us. I'm, I'm ready. Let's go get it. Let's go get it. After we're done here, let's go. Let's go. Can I say one final thing? Can I say one Henderson. final thing that we didn't talk about? And that's yeah, about you know making making sure that we're lifting up um, people behind us. If we leave, um, absolutely, we're all going to leave. Um, if we're leaving and we don't have somebody ready um, to to fill this void and step in behind us, um, then in my mind, we failed, um, and and we have wasted the opportunities that we have been given. So um, that's what I would say to to everyone: make sure you've got your you are bringing someone else up. Um, and, and spaces like this, I think, is exactly what we're doing, um, helping yes. to bring up um, our replacements. Lift as we climb. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Mm. Love that. Love that. Yeah, this has been a great conversation. We we've, we've kept. Most of our viewers through the whole time here, um, lots of comments here coming through. Uh, Dr. Uh, Angela Pope says, when's the next meeting? I don't know. Hopefully we can get you guys on again and we can continue this conversation again. Just let uh, me know is, when. This has been great. Yes, yes. Love this. Love this. But uh, we will wrap this up. I thank each and every last one of you. Be safe out there. Thank you for your service. And uh, yeah, wow, wow. That's what's up. Wow, what'd you think about that, Lizzie? I'm so motivated. I'm excited. Yes. I, um, I just, I'm so enlightened. Yes, yes. This I love this. Amazing. Yes, yes. Let's 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 keep this going. Hopefully, we can get them back again next year. I mean, sometime soon. Yes. Uh, appreciate everyone for joining us on all the social platforms. Till next time. My name is Dale. This has been a Nature Day Entertainment presentation.